0: And it was a speech made in 1863 by Abraham Lincoln, and he said this, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. How true does that ring even today? It really does. See, God wants us to remember him. And Bob, that was just apropos how you introduced that song. It was wonderful. And I feel that the Holy Spirit led you to introduce it that way, because that's what we're going to talk about, is remembering what God has done. See, God realizes, though, that we often forget the things and neglect to remember the things that that he has done for that. He realizes that. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12, Moses issued that final warning to the Israelites just before they're about to enter into that promised land. When he said, beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He didn't just say, don't forget, did he? He said, beware. Beware. So at that backdrop, I want us to be able to read our text for tonight. It comes from Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to read the whole chapter. Yes, we got time for that. Joshua chapter 4. Go ahead, open up your Bibles there. Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to read it together. If you're there, say amen. amen. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe. And command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priests' feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had pointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before uh, before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched a dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal in the the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God had dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Lord, Father, once again, I thank you for today. And I thank you for this opportunity to praise you and worship you. Thank you for this opportunity to read your word that you've given us. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to understand what you have to tell us through these words, Father. So as you fill us with the Holy Spirit, Father, and clear our minds of everything except you, Father, I just pray you just make this all about you, nothing of me. Let this sermon hit us hard where we need to be hit hard on. And and let us open up our eyes, put that salve in our eyes so we might be able to see what you have in store. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we like memorials, don't we? I mean, we have a ton of memorials. And the meaning of this memorial, word memorial right here in this, uh, this chapter that we read, and that we see in verse 7, is simple. It's to remember. We have to remember and given our inclination to be able to forget things. And if you're like me, if you tell me something this morning, I probably forgot by that afternoon. It's little wonder then that these memorials were frequently played as an important role throughout biblical history. We need those memorials to remember. If you recall, at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses built an altar of stones so he could commemorate God's covenant with the people. And now in tonight's text, we see God's commanding his people to erect another memorial, a memorial that the Lord gave specific instructions for and how to build and when to build it and where to build it in, in verses two through five in that, that passage that we just read. See, according to these, uh, these the, the, the 12 men, according to these verses, the 12 men who were chosen, they were chosen earlier in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, verse 12. Go back and read it another time. You could quickly look at it if you want it. But they were to go back to where that priest was standing in the middle of the Jordan holding that ark. They went back there and each man wasn't just supposed to go there and say hi. They were supposed to go there and pick up a large rock to be able to bring from the middle of the Jordan over to the other side and carry it on that side of the river where Israel will camp out in Gilgal. Now, I want you to notice three reasons that I believe is given for this action. The first is... It's to be a time of remembering of what God has done. It's a time to remember what God has done. It says, and these stones shall be a memorial for the children of Israel forever, verse seven says. These memorial stones were to be a reminder of their own personal experience. It wasn't just about God, even though that was the main focus. They wanted them to remember their experience that they just had. And it would even cause the children, according to verse 6, to ask, well, what do those stones mean to you? What do those stones mean to you? Have you ever had your kid, as they were growing up, ask you something something that meant to you so much of importance? This is what God is doing. They wanted, to be, they wanted it to be a reminder to those who were present and had that personal experience to be able to share what they saw, what they heard, what they felt. That wonderful time to be there. Tell your story. Keep a clear memory of what God did for you. Keep telling your stories. And that's what God is telling you and me today. We must tell those stories. We must never lose that sense of awe, just like these Israelites were told. We must never lose that sense of awe and wonder of what God has done in our lives. Now, I don't know about you. I do sometimes. I'm guilty about that. I wish I wasn't. But I'm still flesh. But God gives us an outlet to help us with those things. So what kind of memorials do you have in your life? Well, that's a big generalized question. You know, you can go many different places with that. But whether you want to realize it or not, each one of us has some sort of memorial to remember God with in our life. Some sort of memorial. Maybe it's not a monument of stones that's built up on the bank of the Jordan River. But it's one that's built of Memories. Maybe it's memories of a place or places. Places that trigger memories in your mind, just as these memorial stones were meant to do in Gilgal. So there's some significant places that, that, that have happened in your life that will stimulate those memories. And maybe when you see a picture or somebody else talks about it, or maybe somebody else brings a picture of their trip to that place, it triggers some memories that you have. And it's so wonderful to see that. For me, it was this little apartment I had a long time ago. And I remember sitting at my, my dining room table that took up most of the apartment, because the apartment was as big as my Bible. <laughs> and I'm sitting at that table, and here comes this elder of a church I visited who plainly asked me, if you died today, do you know where you're going to go? Yeah, yeah, I I hope heaven. I mean, I'm a good enough guy. That's not what the Bible says, does it? And he led me through Roman's road and I cried like a little baby. I cried out of sorrow and grief. So I, I cried out of just pure joy that this man, Jesus, who came from heaven wanted to die for me. So now when I talk to people or walk into people's little apartments, that just triggers my memory of what God did for me that one day. But in that same apartment, a few years later, I was called to preach. It was at the tracks, at the racetracks. It was at the same apartment that I had a chance to live with my lovely bride, who I wish was right here to hear that, but she's back there with the teenagers. See, that apartment was a special place for me. What's that place for you? See, this apartment reminds me of things that God had had done in my life. And I'm sure you have a place that's similar to that. A story that you may have. Maybe it's not an apartment. Maybe it's something different. But we have to remember those. We need to be able to remember those memories when we go to those places. But we also have memories that come from other people. These are memories of people that God used in your life. For me, many of them are who encouraged me to pursue what God had in store for me in this ministry. One of them, Pastor A. Another one, Rick Barnes, who we talked about this morning. But how often do we sit down and think about those memories. How often do we think about that? But even more so, how often do we think about that and thank God that he placed those people in our lives? I want to show you an illustration. It's drawn from the life of W.A. Criswell. Anybody ever hear that name before? If you don't recognize that name, he was a Southern Baptist pastor in First Baptist Church of Dallas. And he passed away in uh, January of 2002. And he he records an event in his diary uh, about his life that I think really illustrates this point. So forgive me as I read it to you, but I want to make sure I get it right. When Criswell was 10 years old, the Textline church his family attended held a revival meeting with the Dalhut pastor, Johnny Hicks. Hicks stayed in the Criswell home where he came to know the young preacher to be. During the morning service that week, he walked to the front of the church auditorium where Pastor Hicks met him and led him to Christ. Years later, Criswell was conversing with a friend, a fellow pastor in Dallas, and he told of his childhood, childhood conversion during the Johnny Hicks revival meeting. And then Criswell went on to tell the story of how Hicks stayed in his home and enjoyed his mother's cooking and in his interest in the lad, and how Criswell went forward and was met by the pastor at the altar. Criswell's friend shook his head sadly. Johnny Hicks? Johnny Hicks? Just a few years ago, I visited my friend Johnny Hicks at Baylor Hospital, at Baylor Hospital here in Dallas. He was dying. But on his deathbed, he said, I haven't done anything for Jesus. I mean, isn't that something? That dear old man, Johnny Hicks, led people to Christ. Even one of the most famous pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention, he led him to Christ. And he says, I haven't done anything for Jesus. So we need to remember the people that come into our lives so we don't think we do nothing for Jesus. These people are put into our lives for a purpose. We need to make sure that we remember those people like Pastor Ray and my Rick Barnes and whoever that is for you. We need to remember them and know that God placed those people here in your lives. But we also have to remember, uh, remember those memories of experience that we get. That memory of experience of God answering our prayers. Memories of the experience of seeing God be able to give his marvelous hand, the provision to our lives. I remember in 2001, Sabrina was, Bridget was just born and Sabrina was whatever, two and a half, three at this point. And I remember God providing for our needs so specifically here. It was Christmas time. And we had no money for Christmas. Zero. We had no money for food, let alone Christmas presents. Now we made some financial mistakes, and it was some stupid mistakes and some, you know, ignorant mistakes, but we made none mistakes, mistakes nonetheless, and we were broke. And before we knew it, we walk home and there's a bag of groceries at our doorstep. That same day in the mail, was a check for $200. (sighs) See, God uses these kinds of experiences in your life to let you know that he is there and that he's still there and he still loves you and he's so powerful and he can do all things. He uses those experiences, so we must think about that and remember those experiences. We learned some invaluable lessons on faith during that time period. And these lessons on faith are not anything you can be taught in any Sunday school class. It's something that you must experience to truly understand. So there's memories of places, people, experiences, but there's also mementos of the past. If you were to come into my home office, you'd see all these little knickknacks all over my desk. But each one reminds me of certain life experiences. Maybe it was a mission trip. Maybe it was Miss Pat's fly swatter that I still have. Whatever it is. But it gives me memories of all those things and those experiences and people. And just things that remind me of God. And that each of those things changed my life. In some way, Somehow. It might not have changed it magnificently, but it changed it nonetheless. The point is, God knows how we think. Do you believe that, amen? Amen. He knows how we think, and that's the reason that he instructed Joshua to build a memorial. So that each time the Israelites would see that memorial, they would see those stones at the edge of the river They would know that there was no way they could cross the raging waters of the Jordan on their own. But only through the hand of God. So I want to challenge you to spend some time this week thinking about your own memorial stones. Spend those time in your prayer time. And I know I give you a lot of challenges, but that's okay. Write them down. Do one at a time. But do those challenges because they're so important to your life. I can only speak, but you have to do. Let them draw you to closer to God and remind you of His faithfulness. So it's, it's a time to be remembering what God has done for us. But secondly, those memorial stones that were built there were to serve as a, a basis for, for sharing their faith with their children. We see that in verse 6 and 7, but that's not the only place. In two places in this chapter, parents are reminded of their responsibility for the communication of God's word and the calling uh, on their children from generation to generation to generation. It shows us in verse 6 and 7, for sake of time, I'm going to have to skip through that. But look again at verse 21 through 23. It says it in there, Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your Your children, no saying, Israel, cross over the Jordan on dry land, for the, the Lord your God has dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. See, as he did with the memorials in the Old Testament, the intention of this memorial was to provoke questioning, especially from future generations. That's what we need to do with our children. Because let me tell you, this is going to be hard hit for some of you. Hopefully not, but it is. Christianity is, is no more than just one generation away from extinction. That's a sad thought, isn't it? Because if we stop telling our children, then they have nothing to tell theirs. So we must tell them, and if we're not careful, America will be exhibit A for this truth. Just think a moment how far this country has drifted away in just one generation. Generations approximately 20 years, right? 1962, prayer in schools were declared, declared illegal. 1963, Bible reading in schools were taken away. And then 20 years later, 1980... The Ten Commandments were now illegal to post in public places. One generation. One generation. God's warning to Israel and to us was not to let the environment of a pagan society that surrounds us dictate our values. Deuteronomy six twelve through 15 says, Then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. That's God's words, that's not mine. That's a scary thought, isn't it? We must tell our children. That's, so. It's about the, those memorial stones that were built there were to serve uh, as a way to share their faith with their children. But the memorial stones that were built there were also supposed to be a signpost to the lost world. Verse 24 says that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It's always been God's plan for the, for the whole world to know that he is the only living God not that not only was the crossing of the Jordan a stirring event for Israel, but it was also a terrifying event for all the people that were living on the other side in the land of Canaan. Could you imagine living there and knowing this is happening? We need to remember what God has done. This isn't just a time to remember what God has done, but it was also a time to renew our personal commitment to Him. It's a time of renewing personal commitment. Verse 8, And the children of Israel did so, and just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where he lodged, and laid them down there. See, Joshua not only issued the order for the men to go back, but he personally joined them back into the middle of the river. And he made a, 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 an altar there as they went and made their journey back to the other side of the river. He made their own, his own altar at the center of that riverbed. And the word says that it's still there even until today. Do you believe God's word though? Amen. So do you believe that? I do. I do. It might have been under, under a lot of soot and dirt and everything else, but I believe it's still there today. And then it comes to verse 9, and you know, it's debated amongst biblical uh, scholars, but it, verse 9 says, Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, a place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and there they are to this day. So while they're carrying their stones back to shore, Joshua stops. He personally picks up his own stones, takes another 12 and builds another memorial right in the center of the riverbed. And as I believe, he did it as his personal act of worship. See, for Joshua, this was a very private act. It included one plus one, Joshua and God. That's it. That's it. But I think this was also a very pivotal point in his walk with the Lord. Once the 12 men have carried those stones over to the other side of the Jordan and they're on the shore of Canaan and, he, and George, Joshua had finished building his, uh, his own altar in the middle of, uh, of the river, he commanded the priests to finish crossing the river with the Ark of the Covenant. And at that moment... Once the feet of the priest touched that dry land and as they carried the Ark of the Covenant, those raging waters that were held back by God pushed back on both sides. He allowed to come back. I can't even fathom that sight. I can't even fathom that. That doesn't bring you to a personal time of commitment. I don't know what will. See, it was a time, also a time to be rolling away old defeats. Verse nineteen twenty. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. See, I think it's significant that this happened on the tenth day of the first month. Let me tell you why. I don't think, I know it's significant. Let me tell you why. Because that's exactly 40 years to the day since Israel marched out of the land of Egypt. To the day. Leaving that edge of the river, the Israelites went into a place called Gilgal to be able to make their camp. And Gilgal was on the eastern border of Jericho, as we see in verse 19. But it means the reproach had been rolled away. 40 years of spiritual defeat and failure have now been rolled away. It's gone. It's in the past. God doesn't even look that way anymore. It was the dawn of a great new beginning in this new land that these Israelites get to have. The days of sullen refusal to respond to God under Moses was, was gone. Their complaining had ended. You know, hopeless wandering in this wilderness is gone. It's behind them. And they're now a people with a powerful new sense of purpose, determined to take new territory with God. But likewise, for the believer today, we need to look back at those monumental monumental experiences, those occasions that we have in our lives, which stand out as a time as God changing the direction in our life. We need to look at that because it gives us good, this new hope. Every time we look at those memorial stones in our life, It gives us a great sense of purpose when we remember that God is still all-powerful through all things. And when we act bold in our faith and decide to abandon ourselves to God and step out and take that new territory for Him, we'll remember, but we'll also get closer to God. The monument then was built with 12 stones. And it was a visible way for the Israelites to remember the faithfulness of God. It was also a a silent monument to the special day on which the people of God boldly placed their feet on the dry land of a surging river and confident that God would take them Safely to the other side. So as I finish and invite the musicians back up, I want to encourage you to start putting memorial stones up in your life. We need to remember what God has done in our past. And we need to remember that God still hasn't changed these many years later. Do you believe that? Amen? God has not changed. And let me tell you, God is still in the miracle business. Amen? He's still in the healing business. Amen? And He's still most definitely in the revival business. Amen? So together, let's build some memorial stones together. Look at the ones that's already in our lives. And remember what God has done in our past. And believe that God will do it again.